0: Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson. And this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest and I have declared that we're now basically BFFs, so buckle up for a fun adventure. High jumper Shantae Lowe is a four-time Olympian, an Olympic bronze medalist, a mom of three, a recent breast cancer survivor, and if that's not enough... She is training toward her fifth Olympic games. I told you today would be a wild ride. Shantae is always a crowd favorite with her ripped abs, her sweet dance moves, and the occasional backflip. Starting with a difficult childhood where her faith pulled her through, she has become a determined, unstoppable force that now has purpose greater than her goals. Having a mindset like Shantae's is absolutely crucial to unlocking your full potential. The mental game is one of my absolute favorite topics. And if that's something that you're wanting to dive deeper into as an athlete, I've created three easy ways for you to learn more about mental training. Just go visit laurawilkinson.com learn. I'll also link to it in the show notes. But at laurawilkinson.com learn, you'll find an option that's right for you from dipping your toe in the water with a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence all the way to a complete step-by-step program, including coaching from yours truly for the athlete that's ready to take their game to the next level. But before we get into this episode with Shantae, please take a quick minute to subscribe, rate, and review us. This really helps us to continue bringing on these awe-inspiring guests. I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Shante Lowe, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so excited you are finally here with me. Yay. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. Well, we were just talking before and we've talked on the phone about kind of stuff other than like our careers. You know, we've talked about where we currently are and we I felt like just such a connection with you right away. I was like, okay, you're going to be my best friend, whether you like it or not. We're going to be best friends. Um, But I'm so (laughs) so excited that I get to hear your story from your mouth today. Um, And I'm just I'm super stoked about that. So I would kind of love for you just to tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into high jumping in the first place.
1: Yeah, I've always been like a wild child. My mom kind of <laughs> raised us like weeds. She was just like, you know, like, you know, I'm going to let whatever happens, happens. And so I had an amazing childhood where I was very active. And part of that childhood involved listening to the song Criss Cross, you know, Criss Cross and make it jump, jump. Yeah. And like we're in our house, my mom's at work. And so obviously we have all the kids in the neighborhood over. We pull all the mattresses all out in the living room. And we're all jumping on the mattresses. And I'm jumping and I'm jumping really high. I fall off the mattress, but I'm still jumping and my head's almost hitting the ceiling. Whoa. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have some type of talent for jumping. And I was like, maybe like eight or nine at that time. And I fell in love with jumping from that point on.
0: Well, So how does jumping off a mattress and almost hitting the ceiling morph into high jump?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... Same mattresses. My mom was still at work. We actually pulled the mattresses out into the front yard and I learned how to do backflips on those same mattresses. (laughs) And so being able to jump high, pairing it with a mattress. And then I was like extremely fast. I watched the Olympics, uh, 1988 Olympics when I was four and fell in love. Like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the Olympics. So running fast, backflip, jumping high equals the high jump. <laughs> that's,
0: that's a good combo. You know, if, if you want to give up on the high jump and you've already got the backflips down, you can come over to diving too. Like I'm, I'm looking for a synchro partner. So I would love that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Do you, and I've heard you do backflips sometimes at your events, like for fun. Do you do that? Like when you're high jumping for fun?
1: Yes, it's true. And I'm like getting up there in age. So I'm like, okay, I have to make sure I could still do this amazing backflip because I know people are going to be expecting it. <laughs> do you do
0: it on the mat or on the ground?
1: I do it on the mat, sometimes on the ground, but like Safer For safety on the mat. Reasons.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I understand that. I love it. Well, okay. I would love to know because I know your childhood wasn't necessarily the easiest. So what how how did you kind of get through that? Will you take us through that a little bit, what that looked like?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, the beginning parts are really great. You know, when you're a child, you're resilient. You really don't understand that your childhood might be different from other people's. And I think it kind of came to a head. Like like we never had a lot, but we were always happy. We had a house full of love. But then I think like maybe in the sixth grade is where I really started realizing that we had a lot less than other people. And that's because we were actually losing our home. So in the midst of losing our home, we were homeless and you know, my mom had to send breaking me and my sisters up. So I grew up with two of my older sisters, and we loved each other. But they had to go live with other relatives. Oh. She kept me with her because I was the youngest. And then at that point, like I just feel like my whole entire world was completely turned up, upside down. But I had my grandmother who was like really into faith, and she would take me to church, and that's where I started finding my normalcy. So being able to go to a church interact with the church members, being able to pray, hear scriptures read, and just, you know, having that time with God was my normalcy. So no matter where I was or how dire the situation was in my life, I would always be able to find a home within the church. So that was huge for me and and being able to be resilient through all that was going on in our lives.
0: How does that like? When did you? You love jumping, you love track, um, you find this faith. Like, how does it kind of all come together as you start high jumping? Did you start high jumping in high school?
1: Yeah. So, um, middle school was really rocky. I went to four different middle schools. Oh, my God. Um, across six, maybe five, but I know for sure four.
0: Okay. Middle school is um, <laughs> hard when you have a stable environment.
1: I cannot imagine that. Wow. Yes. Yeah. One, two, three. I went to four middle schools. Oh. Four. Yeah. It was awful. Oh <laughs> but, um, Throughout that time, we started um, getting the opportunity to try track and field at PE. And I always felt like I had some type of ownership to track and field because I saw it when I was four and I was like, no, this is my thing. I'm great (laughs) at this. Let me show you guys. And um, I always thought I would be a sprinter, even though I had this ability to jump. And it was in sixth grade, maybe sixth or seventh grade, where I was introduced to high jump for the first time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. (laughs) And, um, you know, I kept trying to do it, but I was not on like a real track team. That was just kind of like field day P.E. And then in ninth grade, my coach saw me for track and field. I went out for the cross country team, which is not high jump. It's long running, torturing.
0: Totally different.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And um, And I told him, I'm like, I'm amazing at high jump. Like, you should put me in it. Like, I was born to do this. He was like, sure, sure, whatever. How about you do your whole hard workout? And at the end of the day, you could come and try the high jump. I was like, okay. And he's like, and you can only do it if you beat all of our high jumpers. So like (laughs) freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors. I was like, oh, great. Wow. (laughs) but I did. So after that, he let me, he let me do it.
0: Holy <laughs> cat. Well, where does that confidence come from? It, 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 was it just having watched it and, and been, felt connected to it? Like where did
1: that confidence come from? Man, like, like at the time I probably would have thought that I just knew that I was good at it because I could jump high. But like now I think I recognize it as a calling, just seeing All the places that it's taken me in my life and all the opportunities and platforms that it's afforded me. I think that it was just a calling and something about the high jump was calling me to it. I believe, but I believe that now to be God putting me on my right path.
0: I love that. There's just that connection that you feel and you just know, right?
1: Yep. You just know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I felt I felt like that my first day at the pool. Like I loved gymnastics growing up, but like the first day I was at the pool and I saw like what diving was and I got to do it. it. Yeah. It was like love at first sight. It was like, this is me. This is what I meant to do. Like that's, that's cool. I love hearing that from somebody else. I'm not the only person. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So take me through this. So how was high school and like you went to college and you did high jump in college as well, right? Yeah, I did. And how was that experience? Yeah.
1: High school was great. I Like my first year of track and field, I did not actually make the state uh, competition in my event. And it's because they had tried this new method of, of qualifying for the event where you have to actually qualify from your district. So I was from the state of California And my particular district had all of like the state champions in it. So I was, yeah, right. (laughs) So I was the sixth finisher and I think I jumped like five, nine and a half as a freshman, but did not make it to the state team where there was somebody else who jumped four eleven and they made it. So I was like really salty.
0: (laughs) Oh, I bet. Oh my goodness.
1: But it was great because it pushed me to say this will never happen to me again. So I need to make sure I am the number one finisher in my district so that I can go to the state competition. And, and, um, I did the high jump, but I did the long jump, triple jump, hundred meter hurdles, four by one, four by four, like everything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, high school, high school was a lot of work. I was very excited when they told me I could just do one event.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you, were you okay giving up the others or did you enjoy those too?
1: I think I I did enjoy them. I loved competing. That's just like if we are playing, you know, flipping a coin, I want to win like (laughs) I'm highly competitive. But um, when it came to like giving up the other events, my coach really explained to me that it's really your junior year that the colleges start taking a look at you. And the most important thing and the goal from the beginning of it was to get a scholarship, you know, coming from a background where financially going to college wasn't going to be an option for me. I knew that getting a scholarship was important. So we specialized my junior year and that's when I really was able to do some amazing things in a high jump and start gaining the attention of colleges nationwide. Oh, that's so cool.
0: And what did you study in, in college? Economics. Nice. You're smart cookie, aren't you? (laughs) I'm a nerd. (laughs) I love it. You're a fun nerd though. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. What was your college experience? Was it vastly different from high school?
1: Honestly, like I will say the workouts were easier in college. My high school. Yes. Because like we didn't introduce, I think that the facilities and the processes of our American college system for sports is great. Like we have it down to a T, but in high school, you're kind of experimenting and trying to figure out what works and not really knowing. So you do a lot of extra stuff that might, yes,
0: (laughs) right. All the events.
1: (laughs) Yep. All of the events. So You know, going to college, the athletic part was a lot easier, but I would say that the academic part was a little bit more challenging. And then trying to navigate being away from my center, which was my church, and having to experience life on my own outside of being told what to do, that was an adjustment.
0: So did you did you find a church or a group that you could plug in with at school or were you, I mean, was your faith really tested at that time, trying to figure that out and and walk that alone?
1: Definitely would say both. So (laughs) getting the opportunity to kind of like go to the club, go to the parties, you know, being able to have a ton of fun. But then at the same time, understanding that what grounds me and kept me feeling safe and and feeling like I had a constant home was church. I was the most homesick in college. And then that's when I found my way back um, to the church. But through the campus ministry of FCA first, so Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you got plugged in there. So, how old were you and what were the dynamics when you were kind of approaching your real shot at at your first Olympics in 2004?
1: It actually started in high school, I would say, because um, there was one of our teammates who was a year, I think two years older than me, who got the opportunity to try out for the Olympic trials in 2000. So, we all got to watch her and see her go through that process. I don't think she made it out of the first round, but just knowing what it took to get there. And so I knew that my sophomore year in college, it was going to be my first opportunity to try out for the team. And I made sure when picking the college that I wanted to go to, that the team that was going to be aligned around me had that same goal. So from day one, when I stepped on campus, we knew that, you know, that was what we were going to work for.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And and what was that experience like? Like, walk me through kind of your career. I mean, I know you're a professional speaker and you know how to deliver your speech, but like, I want to hear your experience. Like, like, bring it to me. I'm an athlete. I, I understand you. So like, walk me through
1: your journey. Okay. So like on coll- on the college campus, you mean? Just your journey to
0: like the Olympics. You've been to four Olympic games. You've done a lot of things <laughs> and you're not done yet. So like, let's just start. Like, walk me through all your experiences.
1: I would say the first and the second one were the most challenging, but for two different reasons. So the first one was challenging because you really, you know, you believe in yourself, you understand what the process is, but you don't know what that experience is like until you actually get there. Being in college, you understand, I think it was the first time I had to compete against professionals. So people who are paid to do this for a living. And I think when you walk onto that, you know, that track and field stadium or at the pool or whatever it is and you see their uniform versus yours that's really the big like differentiator like oh my gosh i'm wearing a georgia tech baggy uniform and these people are wearing nikes adidas mizuno like and those companies are paying them to wear their stuff
0: is that intimidating Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think that um, so like the way that it works for track and field is we go to the competition. They have two rounds. one's the prelims, one's the final in the prelim, I want to say there's probably about 30, 30 to 35 different women, maybe more than that. But I, I'll just say 30, 35. We're, we're separated in two different um, competitions and they narrow it down to like 15. So then once they get 15 jumpers left, they stop the competition. And then we have to come back two days later and do it again. They start the bar all the way at the bottom. And for me, I made it. I I was very confident I could make it to the second round. But once I got into the final round, like I was competing against people who had been to the Olympics multiple times already. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to beat several of them in order to make this team. But I think. Going up to that point, like I told you, the day that I stepped on campus, there was a plan. I was focused on executing the plan. The mental toughness, like, don't let the nerves get to you. We've done this a thousand times before. Just do what you've practiced. And we ended up getting to the point where I actually got a silver medal at that Olympic trial. Wow! So so I made my first team.
0: So did two or or three people go from the States? Three. Okay. Yeah. So it was three. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And so what was Athens like?
1: Athens was, okay. So I made the team. I paid attention to all the details except the part where you get a passport. (laughs) Oh no. So I did not have a passport. So like we're scrambling, we're having, the competition was in Sacramento. So we had to drive to San Francisco. Somebody had, I don't even know how they got my birth certificate. They had, thank goodness I was, yeah, right. So I'm from California. So somebody had to drive from Sacramento to like, oh, maybe like eight hours down the coast of California to get my birth certificate, bring it back just so that I could get a passport. Oh my! And um, because it was so late and there was like so much security, I actually was not allowed into the Olympic village in the beginning. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> I didn't pass the background check. So, <laughs> um, but it was, it was great. It was like, I think it was good because I wasn't stuck in the village and I got to experience Athens. I got to see the wild dogs walking around. I got to see, you know, the, the gyros being made at our gyro being made in the streets. And it was it was I, I had a different experience from everybody else, but I loved it.
0: Oh, that's cool. Did you get to go in the village at the end?
1: Yes, at the end, right before competition. <laughs> nice. And I, I didn't get to do the opening ceremonies, but I will say I was I went onto that competition field and the way that I learned how to high jump is I watched videos of other high jumpers that I wanted to learn from. And when I got in the competition and I saw the people from the videos that I learned from, I completely lost it. (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was my first experience.
0: That's cool. Uh so, so how do you regroup? You've still got a couple years of college left. And then I'm assuming you went professional after that, leading into Beijing.
1: Yes, I did. So I had a couple years, but I kind of did like a detour. Like the next year I went to world championships and I got a silver medal. And at that point, like when I was competing in college, it was always me jumping by myself. So by time I came in, all the other girls were out. And I was just like, man, I could stay here just for the sake of staying here. But I think that it's really time for me to push onward and start competing on a professional level. So my junior year in college is when I made that transition to becoming a professional athlete.
0: How did you walk into that? Because it is a a big shift in a lot of ways. Like, how did that impact you?
1: It it was an adjustment. So I think that the biggest thing that suffered is I had that battle where I was like, well, shoot, I'm a professional now. Like, I don't, let let me like not go to school anymore. I Like, I really seriously wanted to drop out. My coach fought me and I remember being so mad at him. He fought me. He was like, no, you get your education. I was like, no, I need to get that money. (laughs) Right. But he fought me and I listened to him because I really respected him. And I believe that his, his opinion was not selfish. It was for my life. And he told me to think beyond athletics and what was I going to do if I didn't have a degree and my career was over, what was I going to do then? And and he he reminded me of how I grew up and said, you don't want to live like that for the rest of your life. Make the decision to set yourself up. And so that's where I went back and I finished and I got my degree. But I also met my husband mm. at the same time. Then, you know, I have a husband. Then comes baby. So, right? <laughs> so but, but there I was th- another Olympics in there somewhere. <laughs> there was. So like it was, it went metal, professionalism, marriage baby, graduation, then next Olympics. Oh my goodness.
0: Oh my goodness. So what, okay. So Beijing, your second Olympic games, you now have the experience of what that's like. I'm assuming you got to be in the village the whole time this time. Um, mm-hmm. And you, uh, what, yeah, what was your mindset? How was that different this time? And it, and it turned out really well for you, but it didn't play out in a normal scenario. So walk us through that.
1: So basically, you know, like and the reason why I mentioned having, you know, the baby was because I went into Beijing with a nursing 11 month old. Oh, my goodness. It was probably the hardest way that I could have done it. But obviously I wouldn't do it any different. Being a mom is like one of the most amazing gifts. But going into that competition, I had that same mindset I had at that Olympic trials in 2004. It's like, man, I just have to execute the plan. What we worked on all this time, like we have to execute. And it was like the worst torrential rain that you would ever imagine in Beijing. Oh man! Because <laughs> they were doing it on purpose to try to control the smog. Unfortunately, when the rain came, it came while I was competing. So um, I ended up jumping the best that I could that possibly that that year, which was great. But it was just good enough to get a sixth place the sixth place finish. And even though I was disappointed, I was happy because I knew that there was nothing else I could have done. I left everything on the track.
0: Yeah. That's that mixed feeling. I kind of had a similar experience in Athens where like, you know, you did it all, but it just didn't quite turn out the way you wanted.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: But that sixth place changed.
1: It did. So I think like one of the biggest things I'm proud of is that you know, I kept my integrity intact. There, uh, surrounding the 2004 Olympic Games, there was a lot of talk about doping. That's where I was kind of introduced to what was going on. A lot of people cheating and finding ways to um, shortcut the system to give themselves a, a, a boost. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was never an option for me. It's like either I'm a have it or I'm not. There's no trickery to getting it. I, w- I would feel so guilty that I, I couldn't do that. And um, in 2008, same thing, you know, obviously from that day to this, that's still my philosophy. But three people that had finished ahead of me in Beijing didn't have that same mentality. And actually, eight years later, they found out that three women had cheated in those 2008 Olympic Games. And I was actually an Olympic bronze medalist. So they awarded me that medal nine years later.
0: So what was that like?
1: (laughs) I have so many thoughts. I want to hear yours. <laughs> yes. So well, I'll say the number one question that I always get is how did they not find it till eight years later? And what usually happens in our event is that we have an A sample and a B sample. They they test your urine after competition. The A sample was tested immediately. So that's what they use to give you your medal right then and there. But then... They hold the other sample for eight years, which is kind of like the statute of limitations. And it gives the testing organizations the opportunity to catch up with the cheating methods. And that's exactly what happened. The advancement in testing technology caught some things that weren't initially found in 2004. So now we fast forward. Okay.
0: Well, (laughs) yeah. So again, I want to know how you feel about that. Like, What were your feelings when they announced that and you realized you were going to be a bronze medalist?
1: I was actually very happy. The reason why I was very happy is because I got this message at the end of my fourth Olympic team. And I had just finished fourth place and I had, I was sitting at home and I got some messages on social media and like a whole bunch of people were sliding in my DMs. I was like, what's going on? Basically, it was the European athletes who had gotten the news before I did. And they were just like, you are Olympic medalist. I was like, you guys are cold-blooded. Like, how are you just going to be teasing me when <laughs> I'm about home? And um, no, it was true. They they had actually caught some people doping and, and, and I, I was happy. I was happy because I was not a medalist after four Olympics. And then all of a sudden, you know, now I am an Olympic medalist. And then obviously the anger tried to creep in, but I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason in the right time. And when I was able to go and get my Olympic medal and my kids were there, my uh, like two kids that weren't even born yet. So like my daughter, who was only one, was like, you know, nine or 10 by the time I got the medal. And then two other kids that didn't exist got to be part of that medal ceremony and watch their mom get Olympic medal. So no way I couldn't be mad about that.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know they did a whole ceremony for it. That's neat. How did that play out?
1: Well, I think that there were some other athletes. Unfortunately, my case was not an isolated case. And there were tons of athletes that were given reallocated medals. And one in particular was that there was a guy that was in the airport and he got his medal in a, in a garbage, like a garbage bag. Oh my goodness. He talked about how demoralizing it was to get an Olympic gold medal at the airport in a garbage bag that they wanted to make sure that that never happened again. And so in my mind, I was like, if this ever happens to me, I want it done like this, 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 and this. And then when I had the opportunity, I already had the plan. Like, look, this is what I want.
0: <laughs> so where did you do the ceremony?
1: So they had the USA team awards in Los Angeles, which was great because my whole family's from California. They had it at UCLA and like Carl Lewis was there, Michelle Kwan, Allison Felix, the whole wow. like Winter Olympics team getting ready to go to Sochi. It it was great. It was amazing. Couldn't have had it done better.
0: Oh my goodness. That almost sounds better than the actual ceremony at the Olympics. <laughs>
1: It was so much better. I got to wear a ball gown. I got to give a speech. Oh, wow. Like, you don't get to do that.
0: <laughs> no, we have like wet hair on the podium. No makeup. Like, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, oh, my hair cool. was on point. Eyelashes were banging. Makeup was done right. It was good. Nice.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, OK, I have to ask you, what keeps you going? Because after four Olympics and, you know, you didn't even know you had medaled at the time that you finished your fourth, like you said, but you're still going like, is there What what is it that keeps you going? You're a mom. You have kids, you know, you've got all this other stuff going on. Like what keeps you wanting to do this?
1: Yeah, I thought I was done after I got that medal. I was like, okay, good. Finally, I'm done. I can close this chapter. You know, I've done everything that I want to do in track and field. This is great. But for what happened was last summer, I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. It completely rocked my world. I thought that I was going to die you know, being a mom, it was just terrifying to to think that at thirty, well, I was thirty four, that my life was completely over and that my kids were going to be here without a mom. And in that process, I learned that, like that feeling of fear, I was not alone. That that the statistic was that one in eight women in their lifetime would be diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was like, this is wait, this is crazy. Like one in eight, like like how do we not know this? And the crazy thing is, we hear it. But it doesn't resonate if it's not directly impacting our lives. Right. And so this time I was like, no, I like I need to let more women hear this. And the reason why is because I was misdiagnosed before I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, really? I found the lump a year before and I was like, look, there's a lump. They did an MRI. They did an ultrasound. The doctor looked at me and he said, you're young you're too young, you're healthy, you're fit. There's no way this is breast cancer. I want to see you in six years. Don't, come, he said specifically, do not come back for six years. What? And I was like, okay, cool. Great. Because that's the, in six years would be when I should have had my first mammogram.
0: Right. And you don't want to think it's real. You know, you don't want to assume yep. it's real. That's scary.
1: Yep. And so, um, that was his professional opinion. But something inside of me was like, this is not right. He told me it was a lymph node. So I did every single lymph node detox that there was known to man. And it wasn't getting smaller. It was getting bigger. And so finally, I went back into the doctor's office, got a second opinion, and immediately went into the whole whirlwind of biopsies. Oh, my gosh, it's positive. And and the worst part, I was so confident that it wasn't breast cancer that I brought my kids to the appointment to get the results. Oh, my goodness. So um, that was awful. (laughs) But once I finally got to the part where I realized that I still had options because it was so early, I wanted to say, what can I do to warn other women? And I think the loudest microphone that I'll ever be able to have is the Olympic Games. And so I started training. I did a double mastectomy, mastectomy, which they take out all the breast tissue and then I did chemotherapy for five months, five and a half months, lost all the hair, eyelashes, all that stuff. But throughout that whole process and then with the strength of God, because I couldn't have done it on my own, I decided to train and I trained through the entire process. And I'm still preparing for Tokyo because I want to raise awareness, because if I had waited till I was 40, I would not I would have made it to my 40th birthday. Just that's that's how dire it was. So.
0: Wow. Uh, there's so so many questions I have
1: from this. So, like,
0: <laughs> so this first doctor kind of sent you on your way. And how long was it before you got the second opinion? But they said it was still early.
1: 11 months. Wow.
0: Wow. Well, that's I'm so glad that was still considered early. That's awesome.
1: And the crazy thing is because as athletes, we know our body. So one of the things that I advocate for is knowing you're normal. I knew within two weeks when that rice size lump appeared because I, knew, I did regular self breast exams. So where the earliest stage you can catch guess- Catch breast cancer is stage zero. I caught it at stage one, but that's only because they ignored me when I found it at stage zero. Gotcha.
0: Well, and I'd agree with that because I had a scare uh, about a year and a half ago, and because I found a lump as well, and we went immediately in, had the mammogram and all that done, and found out it was it was something else. But it was the same thing. I was like, I know my body, and this isn't right, and and you know, but my doctor fortunately listened to me, so we were able to check it out. But yes, definitely, I, I would totally advocate for that too. Like you know your body, and it's always better always better to err on the safe side and have tests done and find out that it's not anything than to wait and find out it's something more advanced for sure
1: absolutely
0: so were you actually retired before the breast cancer diagnosis and that forced you back into training or like how yeah what is the dynamic there
1: yeah. So I saw so many athletes like retire and come back and retire and come back. And I'm like, OK, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So even though I was retired and by retired, I mean like eating a box of donuts today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that's retirement was, right there.
1: <laughs> I was still training enough to where if I changed my mind, I would not be starting from ground zero. But not really training, but enough to where I could still move weights or I could, you know, run a set of stairs or like run a mile, some, you know, stuff like that. So
0: not competing, but still in good shape. Yeah.
1: That kind Shape-ish. Of...
0: <laughs> Shape-ish. All it right. was okay.
1: a shape. There was a shape. It was probably pear. <laughs> the shape was pear.
0: Oh, I can't ever see you being pear-shaped. Okay. You're like ripped. Okay. So I have to ask you, Is who is your coach? Is your husband your coach now?
1: He's not, but he helps me. So okay. he knows, he knows my high jump more than anybody else. And I was like, this is probably the most, uh, it's it's kind of weird. I've been in the same program since college. So, okay. you know, I'm very, very close with my college coach. If I ever need any type of assistance, like he he's there, he has me. The plan is this year to go to him if I need like consultations, mm-hmm. but The reality is in 2016, I prayed every day and asked God, like, what should I do today? And I, that's how I trained.
0: Yeah. Is that what you're doing now?
1: Ish. (laughs) A combination ish. Right. I'm trying to get back up. Like right now I'm going back to the foundations of what I know it takes to get me in shape, but it worked so well in 2016 that I would, I would definitely consider doing it again.
0: I love that. Well, and I know this year has been different too, because you were gunning obviously for Tokyo 2020, which has now been postponed to Tokyo 2021 with all the COVID and, and having, I mean, just going through chemo, I'm assuming you were kind of high risk. And I know you, I've seen you working out with like masks on and taking those precautions. So is it mostly at home right now that you're training?
1: Yes. I'm trying my best to figure out a way to make home a great training facility. I think probably the most difficult part that I'm struggling with now is that I love to run. And I love to run straight long distances and I've been doing it on the concrete and it's paying, it's playing its toll on my Achilles. So like I have to make adjustments. And so I'm looking at the different treadmills, like the NordaTrack, the Peloton and (laughs) they're just so expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: hey, I have a question for you because I'm kind of a jumper too. Like I'm a diver. So I I do the quick twitch like flipping type stuff. And I've always thought, at least been under the impression, granted, I feel like everything changes every five years. There's a whole new plan. But (laughs) I've always heard like distance running, distance doing anything like endurance wise is not good for a fast twitch jumping type athlete. Is that not true? Cause you obviously jump so high y'all y'all just for those people who don't understand her American record. She has her, her indoor and outdoor are six foot seven and a half inches and six foot eight and three quarters inches. Like that's crazy. That's crazy high. That's almost, that's like higher than a lot of basketball players like are tall. So how, yeah. How does that dynamic
1: work? Yeah. So like, I think it's different for different type of jumpers naturally my fast switch muscles are more easily developed because I think probably if I wasn't a jumper, I should have been a sprinter. And I think I probably would have been pretty decent at it. So, but in general, high jumpers are tall and lanky and skinny. And I think that that for those athletes that are generally slower, it probably doesn't make sense to do a lot of long, slow stuff.
0: Gotcha. I think
1: that. So you yeah. got to
0: know your body type really
1: well. Yeah, that yes,
0: that makes yes. sense. So, what does this next year then look like for you? Because you you are now done with the chemo. You're back at foundations and training, but probably trying to do that safely at home. But you're also homeschooling your three children. Um, yeah, how does that all how do you, how do you juggle it all? Oh my gosh! So <laughs> uh,
1: that is like a loaded question because school is awful. it's just it's what it is it's awful it is awful like and it's it's funny because i was a teacher i was a math teacher and But it's just hard because my kids are in different stages. So if I had one, I think it'd be easy. But I have one that's in second grade, one that's in third grade, one that's in seventh grade. So they're completely on different ends of the spectrum, learning different things. You know, second grade, you're still kind of arithmetic writing, you know, subtraction addition. But then like by third grade, it's like cursive geography, science experiments. I don't want to do your science experience. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like you're on your own, kid. (laughs) Yes. Don't paint on my couch. Like, no. But um, but at the same time, I understand that our children's education is so important right now. But then making it to the Olympics is so important. Like everything is so important. But at the same time, you have to understand that things are different and you have to do things differently. And you have to be patient and you have to be like a wave being able to move whatever direction our CDC rule is going on at the time right so it's a lot
0: yeah are you doing the online school program or are you doing your own homeschool program
1: okay that's loaded too so i started out You're with welcome. the schools <laughs> <laughs> i started out with the schools um virtual option the reason why i didn't like it is because the school that my kids were going to They like the kids would log on. I was very excited. And then I'm walking around the house, like trying to clean or getting ready to go outside and train or something. And then I turn around and there's a little kid behind me. I'm like, what are you doing? Shouldn't you be on the computer? And they're looking at me like, no, we're already done. I was like, that was like 15 minutes. Like, what do you mean you're done? And so then, you know, I get that kid back on the computer. Then I turn around again. And then there's another kid behind me. Like, what are you doing? Oh, we're done. And so their breaks were cascading. And I was literally getting nothing done. So um, now I'm looking into a couple of homeschool options that would allow them to have block learning for about four hours. And then I could go do what I need to do for my four hours.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. We kind of did the same thing in the spring when we had to do the online school with ours. It was just, it was a mess. It was so hard because we have four mm-hmm. and I've got one in preschool still. Mm-hmm. And then I've got first, third and fourth grade. So they're, you know, I don't have, I don't have a junior high kid like you, but, um, they're all at kind of different places. And we got the little one who's always just running around, you know, so the online was not happening. And so we decided, and, and the schools just didn't seem to know what they were doing. And and there was no, like, yeah, there's just no consistency. And you know, little kids need consistency. They need a structure and routine to feel safe and to be productive. And so we just decided to do our own program. And so we've been kind of doing that. But I'm I'm fortunate my husband's at home too. And so we he takes yeah. the lead on it, but we tag team. And so yeah, it's it's just been crazy. But yeah, I, I agree. This is definitely I think have it worse. Interesting time <laughs> interesting time in history right now that we're all going to be, you know, thankful for. And yeah. so we're trying to find the, the gratitude in the middle of the insanity.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of my friends and one of the things we've discussed is possibly getting a group of other kids together that are in the same class and in the same grade and hiring a nanny that would just be on or a grandparent that would just be in the room with them virtually. So they could see the screen, so we're trying to figure out the dynamics of how to make that work and finding the other kids in the um in our kids' classes.
0: Oh, that's a really good idea. Well, I hope that works out for you guys. That's fair. Cool. <laughs> well, so what's kind of next on your agenda? like you are there any competitions even on the calendar, or is everything just up in the air right now?
1: So I think that as olympians our athletes, we're having to find creative ways to make it work for us. I think if I depend on other people to, to throw competitions, I probably won't get my competitions. So I'm figuring out ways to have my own set of a series of meets. Oh, yeah. And so figuring out the process of getting them certified, making sure that they count because I could have a whole track meet with just high jump. And so I'd make it an invitational, know who I want to be there. That would kind of push me. To compete well, to give me great competition, to prepare me for the Olympics. So that's kind of where I think that that I'm gonna have to the direction I'm gonna have to go in, and then I'm gonna have to figure out what kind of safety precautions I'm gonna have to take to make sure I stay safe.
0: Wow, that's a really interesting way to do it. Like, so do you still have to qualify for the Olympic trials? Yes. Okay, and is that that happens like at a meet it, that you can maybe have certified? Or how does that work?
1: Yeah, that could that could happen out of meat I have certified. So I'll have to have an official there to do the proper measurements. I'm going to have to make sure that um, that I don't know whatever whatever it takes. I have to make sure that the the landing area is regulation, that the surface is regulation, the spikes I'm using is all regulation. So. yeah. but it's worth it. (laughs) Totally. So
0: I guess I know one of your biggest goals and your reasons why right now is to bring the awareness um, about breast cancer and knowing your body and taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that what are your other motivations? Like, what do you, cause you get up at like four 30 in the morning. Sometimes I know you post about that and you're up and you're sweating. And I'm like, Oh, good Lord, honey, I'm not even awake yet. So, um, and you're like done with your workout for the day. So what, what gets you up and keeps you motivated on those mornings where you're like, I don't want to do this. Cause I know there's those, even the most motivated person has those days.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like to be honest with you, and I've said it before, it's like, you know, when you go to the Olympics, sometimes it's a selfish pursuit. It's, it's a goal that you had and you want. And not in a negative way, but you want to do this thing that's really huge, but you figured out a way to get it done. You've sacrificed for it and your reward is getting it. Mm -hmm. For me this time, just being able to sit there with like a 22 year old girl with stage three breast cancer and knowing that there's a lot of college age and high school girls that might have the beginnings of those things that they should be looking for. But we have a society that says, no, not into your 40 because mammograms are expensive. Like I want to change that. And so my motivation is I want somebody to see me at the meet. Like, why is she bald? I remember seeing her. She had long hair. Like what's going on. She changed her look. And then clicking and doing some further research and like, Oh my gosh, this is what happened, man. Maybe I need to check myself. It's like when you watch the relays at track meets, you see that people, they run fast in their individual events, but when they get the stick for that relay, they run faster and more efficiently and with more ferociousness than they did before. And that's how I feel with this competition. I'm going at it with more because it's not for myself. Like like I want my daughters to grow up in a breast cancer-free world. And so that's what I'm doing it for.
0: I love that when when you have a motivation that is bigger than yourself like that, that's when you change the world. And I think that's what you're you're starting to do. And I love it. I'm totally in your corner, and we'll be cheering you on every step of the way. Because, like I said, I, I'm making you my BFF because we just I was about to say like
1: we're best friends, so. we're totally like,
0: best friends, even though we've never even met in person. So we're we're still best. friends. I know friends. we're going but we're gonna to one day. go to each
1: other's meets. Totally, I hope we're not competing at the same time. Oh
0: my gosh, we're we're gonna make it work. We're gonna figure it out for sure, <laughs> for sure. Well, Shante, where can people follow you online? to continue to be inspired by you, to learn more about your story, to you know learn exactly what you're trying to promote, how to take care of themselves and, and be on the lookout and help other people be aware?
1: My biggest platform that I use is probably Instagram. So at Shantae Lowe, I'm on LinkedIn a little bit, but I think like my biggest joy is being able to connect with people or their organizations virtually and have like one-on-one or like athlete organization interactions. And so I've been doing, doing a lot of those. And I really enjoy when people get to ask me their questions personally and I get to answer them and just like, I'm an open book. Like I said, I I am an open book and I I feel like my journey is not for myself, but to benefit um, my fellow man. So.
0: Yeah. And she is. And uh, thank you so much for just being open and vulnerable and being that open book with us so that we can learn from you and be inspired and encouraged by you.
1: Oh, thank you, Laura.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.